Wow, special interview time here at the Donald Stevens Convention Center in Chicago, Illinois with this amazing actress, Oscar winner, Mira Sorvino. Mira, how does it feel to be at a Chicago Comic Con? It's very exciting. I've never been to any any cons. I, I, the only thing I've ever done was like a panel for a TV show, but we, I never interfaced with the fans or did signings at all. This is my first time and I'm so excited to like hang with the people that love our work. Like that, that gives wow. us joy. So for so many years, uh, you, uh, you, you've had a career as an actress. What made you decide, let's do a convention now? Um, I think a bunch of my friends, you know, uh, told me they were doing them and how much fun they were and how they really enjoyed having that one-on-one -on -one with the fans. And, yeah. and it is true that like when you're on stage, you feel like I recently did a show at the Cafe Carlisle and you yeah. knew when the audience loved something or laughed or didn't respond or, or they were crying with you. And, and that was so like, it, it sort of feeds your soul as a performer. And as a, you know, an on-screen performer, you don't get that except for social media, people telling you that they like it, whatever. But I was like, you know what, let me, let me try this because everybody seems to love it so much and, and, and here I am to meet my fans. So very excited to be here for my fans. That's fantastic. So uh, Comic-Cons, especially the Fan X, was all about fandoms. Superheroes, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy. Do you have a particular favorite genre? Um, I, in terms of performing, I, yeah, love, I love comedy. Like I love yeah. doing comedy, it makes me the happiest. Um, you know, recently I've been involved in some projects that kind of combined comedy with um, with genre, with with horror, which has been super fun. Oh, fun. And I can't talk about it, but I've loved doing it. So it, it has like scares and laughs, yeah. and that's been great because it gives the audience like a double like reward for like you know what what people are looking for, right? And and so when you're on a set and you're trying to create a result, like there's nothing better than when you hear the crew chuckling behind the camera and they're like <laughs> and that's that's the best so so for me comedy I have the most fun when I'm doing it whether it's on a stage okay. or on film or whatever um, in terms of watching I really like watching thrillers okay. and I like watching comedy um, I horror I, I'm a bit of a, a wimp like I, I can watch horror where it's not super gory Okay. When it gets super splattery, I can't handle it. Or something where I, mm -hmm. where it gets into my head and I get nightmares that's going to happen to me. Yeah. I can't, I can't watch that stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, but like classic horror, like I love, you know, The Exorcist. Like, and and the Billy Freakin just died, and and that's so sad. And I know I'm not supposed to talk about film names, but in honor of that great director, of course, like, it's it, you know that was such an iconic, amazing um, story, which basically posited that in order, because Father Karras believes in the devil, this disaffected priest who sort of lost his faith, he ultimately believes in God. And it's just like this incredible thematic story. Like, I just think it's incredible. But anyway, yeah. But as I said, like, Splatterfest, no. Splatterfest, no. No, no, no disrespect to the fans okay. who love that stuff, but I just don't have the stomach for it. I literally, when I was a kid, saw a film with my friend who was allowed to see rated R movies and I wasn't and she took me along when I was 13 to see this movie in which some guy's head exploded and I for three months afterwards as I would be falling to sleep that image of that bald head blowing up would hit me and I wouldn't be able to sleep for like two hours after that so okay. that's what I mean I'm just a we gotta avoid things that induce nightmares yeah. But here at Fan Expo is all about comic books. Did you ever watch Marvel, DC, Star Wars? And oh, is that a genre that you would uh, would like to of like well, have on your resume? Uh, 
yes, I would. And once again, I can't talk about the franchises. <laughs> I can't talk about anything that producers yeah. have anything to do with. I did grow up watching a very popular sci-fi film with my a sci-fi show with my dad in the '70s, reruns of the original. And I think you can figure out which one it is. Iconic characters, like incredible, like gave me my wish to explore space. You know, so um, yeah. And of course, everyone has a lightsaber. Everyone wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That thing. Um, it's so hard not to be able to talk about these things, but yes, of course I love those genres. Of course I do, yeah. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. And of course, uh, let's talk about you being um, a UN Goodwill Ambassador for Anti-Human Trafficking, which kind of ties into your hit movie out right now, Sound of Freedom, which is uh, taking the box office by storm and has a very, very important message. Could you kind of talk about both aspects? Okay, so I can't talk about the movie right now. They're working on trying to get a waiver from SAG, so I can't specifically talk about the film until that happens. Yeah. But I can talk about that there's this wave of interest from the public that I have not seen in the 19 years that I have worked on trafficking, both first with Amnesty International, starting in 2004, mm -hmm. and then 2009 to the present with UNODC as their Goodwill Ambassador. Um, I see people who care that this is happening to children and to adults all over the world. You know, there's some estimates there's 50 million people in slave labor today across the globe, and two million of them are kids in sex trafficking, and the United States is a huge consumer for child sexual abuse material online. You know, what people would have formerly called like pornography, but when it involves children, it's not pornography. It's literally you're watching a child be hurt, and you're paying for it. Um, and we have this big hunger for that in this country, and it's so sick. So, um, so I'm seeing people's hearts be broken by the experience they have in the theaters, and then they're like, what can I do? How can I get more involved? So, first of all, tell your elected representatives, I care about human trafficking. What are we doing in my state or in my country to fight this? Like, what laws, what bills are you proposing? What are you getting behind? that is helping not only the law enforcement side of it, because that's only one piece of the puzzle. How are you working on prevention? How are you working on aftercare and rehabilitation and, and transitional aid for survivors so that they can fully assume the lives that they were born for, not the ones that were thrust upon them, you know, mm -hmm. for getting their educations, helping them with job training, helping them with housing. And what are you doing about vacature and expungement? Because, okay, so, People in child sex trafficking or any kind of sex trafficking and even labor trafficking are often, they often have criminal charges either for prostitution or for crimes that is called forced criminality. They were forced to commit crimes while being exploited under pain of death sometimes. You know, that basically the traffickers always have them in fear of death of their own or their families, right? So if someone is forced to shoplift or to sometimes recruit another victim or even someone who like kills their abuser you know all of these things there should be something called affirmative defense which allows them to say hey I was being forced you know so this is my defense like an insanity defense but you were like I, I lived with basically a gun to my head if not virtually psychologically present all the time if I ever disobeyed my trafficker I would catch a beating I would be stabbed um, I would you know my child would be in jeopardy so that should be a defense, but then also those charges in the past need to be able to be expunged, or some states call it expungement, some people call it vacature. 
house because without that, a trafficking survivor cannot move on with their life because a criminal record follows you everywhere or being on the, on the sex offenders registry follows you everywhere. So you can't get a job, like any high level job, and even if you've educated yourself through college and you get a great degree and you're all ready to start this new life, they do a background check and you're like, oh, you, you had a prostitution charge? No, sorry. Um, or renting an apartment, you know, trying mm -hmm. to get a place to live so that you can work. And it's all this vicious circle because if you don't have an address, you can't get a job. If you don't have a job, you can't get an address. And you can get none of these things with this criminal background. So every state really needs to work on this concept of vacature and expungement and affirmative defense. Um, there's two really famous cases recently. One was Tiffany Simpson, one was Centoya Brown. People can look at those and understand what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, volunteer your time, you know, every, everywhere there are organizations doing the good work. I'm putting together this big master list that I'm going to publish on my Twitter, although it's so long, it's six pages long, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do it. I might just do like a long thread where people can sort of click on and with, I have a description of what each organization does. Um, but really everywhere there are people already doing this work. And everywhere needs funds if you just want to donate money, if you want to donate your time, if you want to help a trafficking victim go to the doctor, you know, accompaniment, if you want to help them fill out forms, if you want to help them, if you want to help volunteer at a, at a shelter, you know, for, for trafficked kids or adults, if you want to offer your legal services pro bono, because legal services are the number one thing that victims come to this organization called the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking in California, but they're, they're California, but they're nationwide. Um, their number one referral is for legal services, and that becomes the gateway where a, a trafficking survivor gets help, gets what they need. So there's always need for lawyers. Um, there's always need for translators. You know, labor trafficking victims are largely immigrants, migrants. Uh, sex trafficking victims, the domestic minor sex trafficking victims in our country are mostly American kids. They are not foreign born. They have passports. So when we talk about, oh, shut the border and you'll end trafficking. Uh, okay, well, why are 53% why are of the clients of Courtney's house in Washington, D.C. family trafficked by their own parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles? There could be intergenerational trafficking. And right now, the foster care system and child protective services doesn't vet for it. They don't even have a category in their interview intake forms for, is the child being trafficked? They, they just don't know what to look for, and that needs to change. Um, you know, LGBTQ plus kids, they run away from home because they don't have the support they need in their schools and their homes, and they get propositioned for, any runaway gets propositioned for survival sex within 48 hours, and that's a form of trafficking. You know, there's just not enough support out there. There's not enough housing. Homelessness is a huge, pre so the, the biggest vulnerability causes in the U.S. for trafficking are, for, of children is abuse in the home, or being in the foster care system, being runaway, being, LGBTQ plus or um, uh, being homeless and all those things which are societal ills that we just need to deal with are one of the reasons why we have this vulnerability to trafficking. The reason they get trafficked is because men buy commercial sex and they buy it with minors and so if you stop demand, oh if, if you reduce the number of men who go online and are like yeah I'm gonna make a date with that escort mm -hmm. then because the, the terminus of 
sex trafficking, all sex trafficking, including child sex trafficking, is the point of sale, which is prostitution, which is commercial sex. So if you if you are buying commercial sex, you and this is a bitter pill for many to swallow who'd like to think of it as a victimless, victimless crime, mm-hmm. you are creating that marketplace for trafficked people because which one is a pimp going to choose? To work with somebody who's like a fully empowered sex worker who takes home 90% of their profits and gives 10% to the pimp like an agent or someone that they can control and set up 60 dates a night sometimes and make thousands and thousands of dollars off by not paying them anything, which are they going to choose? They're going to choose the trafficking model, right? So the harm reduction for the victims of trafficking is there's something called the equality model, which Maine is the first state to have adopted it. It it already is the, the law of the land in nine countries, including France, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Sweden, Norway, and some other countries. And Jimmy Carter has always espoused this. It used to be called the Nordic model, but basically it it's decriminalizes the person whose body is being exploited. So you stop punishing the person whose body is being bought and sold. You criminalize the John, the buyer, and you criminalize the pimp trafficker. And if there is no pimp trafficker, you could still criminalize the John, and you still never criminalize the person whose body is being bought and sold. So it's the greatest harm reduction model in terms of preventing trafficking, because it stops the impunity, and it stops that sort of like feeling like, okay, I can do this. This isn't really harming anything. It's not really a crime for me to do this, the people who are buying it. No, it is, and it should be seen as such. It destroys lives. You know. So anyway, I know some people might not like what I'm saying, but this is... It's a very important message, and, and I have to segue it with Sound of Freedom because I think it's so important for people to see this movie. I saw it myself. Whatever your political affiliation, yes. the message behind Sound of Freedom is so important. Human trafficking is a bipartisan issue. It always has been. It's been a little bit unfortunate that this summer people are talking like it is the purview of the right. No, I'm progressive and I'm a mom and I'm a Christian and I'm super anti-trafficking. So you can be lots of things. We all were children. That's our baseline. We all were children. A lot of us have children. And most of us who were children cannot imagine like willingly signing off on the kind of destruction of happiness and body that happens in child sex trafficking. You know, I think that's what people are responding to in this cinematic experience is their their heart is being broken by what happens to the kids. And, you know, the thing is, the American model of child sex trafficking is a little bit different than what people are experiencing on that screen. And, you know, some people have criticized the film for that. But in a lot of countries other than this one, extremely poor people are very vulnerable to um, fraudulent job offers, like a a false modeling or nanny agency or teacher agency, and they recruit young people with Mm -hmm. the promise of this, you know, glamorous or high-paying career, and then they essentially do kidnap them. Yes, they they take away all their autonomy, they, they take away their passports, they threaten their family. And they cut them off with everyone they know. And then they're in this cycle of horrendous rape abuse that goes on and on and on. In our country, it's not so much stranger danger. It is not so much the white van, although that kind happens too. But as I said, most of it is a little bit more someone you know. It's, it's, you know, probably upwards of 50% family-controlled trafficking. It's foster care trafficking. 
it's gang-related trafficking, but they recruit through school, they recruit through social media, they recruit through Instagram, and the average age of entry for a girl in commercial sex trafficking in this country is 9 to 12. So on their Instagram, they're looking and somebody's like, hey, you're so pretty, you wanna to come to this party tonight? And they'll, they know who to pick. They look for people who have some vulnerability. They're lonely. They don't have a great home life. They're looking to be loved. They're looking to be appreciated. And they woo them and they groom them. And then once they've got them in this cycle, they have compromise on them. They've got videos of them performing these terrible, you know, not them performing these terrible acts being done to them and they say they'll expose them and show them all over the internet if they don't comply um, so you know it, that, that's kind of more the model in this country although of course you still do have um, migrant peoples being enslaved in brothels and, and that maybe is a little bit more on the adult side but our biggest problem is our own kids and that we're not protecting them and you know, the border issue is the border issue, and the border needs to be dealt with, certainly not in the inhumane, horrible way of putting, like, things that will cut people as they try and cross a river. That's insane. Definitely traffickers do come through the border. Absolutely. That needs to be vetted for, and you need to vet who you're handing children off to when they come to pick them up, you know, to make sure they're not putting a, an unsuspecting child into a trafficking situation. Exactly. But... The border is not actually the big problem in terms of our child sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's get real and let's look at our own backyard and mm -hmm. see how we can fix things for our own kids and and create programs, better education, better programs in school, age-specific, age, like, you know, like, basically protecting, you know, people's innocence. But if you're talking about 9- to 12-year-olds being sex trafficked, you have to have something in a school module that is warning them of this being a potential thing that could happen to them. If you're not, you're just leading lambs to slaughter, right? Like you needs better warning signs. Yes, and 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 school. Everybody works in every public-facing office, whether it's mm -hmm. transportation, medical, first responder. Because a lot of times, a, a trafficker will take in his exploited person or hers you know, to the emergency room or an urgent care when they've broken their arm or something, right? Yeah. This is the one moment that person might surface, whether they're labor or sex trafficked. If the staff is trained in what trafficking looks like and what a victim presents as and that they're not going to self-identify, they could take that critical five minutes and say, I need to see her alone in the x-ray room. You can't come in. And then maybe you can connect that person to safety and, and get them out. Right. But that needs to be in the transportation. I've met airline, um, you know, flight attendants who have rescued people because they watched a video. I, I like saved three girls. This guy that I spoke to years ago, and I was like, "Have you watched the Delta training module? I hear it's really good." Because I just done a speech at Delta, and he was like, "I heard you did the speech." And I, he said, "No, not yet." I saw him again this summer, and he said, "You know what? After talking to you, I went home and watched the training video. Yes. A few months later, three girls got on my plane. They were acting really confused and nervous, and mm -hmm. something didn't seem to be right. They weren't meeting my eyes. And when the man came to meet them at the other end, because they were minors, I had already alerted people on the ground that something didn't seem. And they asked the man, "What are their names?" And he didn't even know their names. They cuffed him. 
they ferreted these girls away to safety, he stopped them from being trafficked before it happened. And that's the whole idea is prevention, because we don't want to constantly be just doing triage and letting people be raped for years before we can help them, or abused in, in fields or in factories or you know in nail salons as slave labor for years before we help them. We'd like to catch it before it starts, and that's really the goal is prevention. Wow. Miro, this is fantastic. I know they're giving me a signs. Nothing to do with what you were <laughs> for. I'm just using my but, phone. Sorry. As actors, myself included, being a member of SAG-AFTRA, the strike is still going on. Uh, do you have any opinions on, on the strike and strike what can we do to... necessary, yes. but, but a bitter pill to swallow for all the members because everybody yes. is very, very nervous economically, myself included. You know, like I am yeah. not... I, I wish I were, but I'm not like one of those big stars like that just gave the million to the Actors Fund. Like I wish I had that kind of, you know, nest egg. But we still live kind of year to year in our in our house. You know, um, I think you know that Harvey Weinstein took basically took my film career, career away for oh, 20 years. Sorry, I wasn't you in horrible, a major horrible person. I wasn't in a major motion picture from 2000 from 1998 to 2018, and I had won the Oscar in '96. So, so I lost all of that ability in my prime to well, work. momentum right after the Oscar, right? Yeah, um, but mm -hmm. it's okay. I've always worked all this time, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to look back because my life has been very rich and full and I love my family so much, my four kids and, and, the, and the work I do in human trafficking. Maybe if I had been like a big star, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So, you know, God gives you a purpose and you follow it, right? Wow. But um, the strike is necessary because it's insane to see the profits that the heads of these corporations and these entities make and they're not willing to share in the slightest like really just fair way like I mean when you look at their salaries the CEO salaries and then there was recently like a, a publication of for each of them like what it would cost them to acquiesce to all of our demands it was less than one percent of their profits less than one percent exactly I mean, come on, we're not the asking The math for is there. I yeah. mean, come on, there's plenty of funds available to, and the to give the actors what they need. The streaming model is different yes. from the old episodic television model. Like, you can't say that things haven't changed. Why haven't our contracts changed to reflect mm -hmm. that? Just fairly. And yes. to make it a living wage for the majority of our membership does not appear, you know, as a series regular or the yeah. star of films. They need to make enough and there need to be enough contributions to the health plan from the producers so that they can get health insurance, that they can get what they need, and it, we're not asking for a lot, and especially the AI stuff, it's crazy that the concept that they they wanted the ability to just use you forever for maybe and a nominal, perpetuity, a yes, nominal not fee, good, yeah. and you wouldn't own your image, and you wouldn't be able to say yay or nay to like, you're gonna put me in that project? I don't yeah. do that kind of project. I, even if it's just like, I don't like that project, it's not good enough, or that project espouses violence towards women, or I don't want my character to be nude. Like, you know, like... You they can do that. They can do They can put your they, face on anybody, yeah. yes. And, and it's, it's crazy. You know, also it's like, you really think that the public won't know the difference between a genuine performance by a real beating heart human being who has spent their whole life honing their craft to give you the performances that you like and that you care about, like, come on, big companies that do this. Like, it's so insulting to take the humanity out of acting. It's literally one of the oldest, like, callings that people have had. Like, you know, all those incredible amphitheaters in, in, in the worlds of antiquity, in classical Greece and Rome, 
people have been performing theater for millennia. You want to all of a sudden be like, ah, we don't need people. Remember that animated films, although yes, the animators do an incredible job, it's still backed by human voices, actors right. performing, and that's where it's still connected to human beings. That's where the soul comes from, yeah, really. Like, it's, it's the human heart. I don't want to watch a plastic <laughs> yeah. pretend person try and break my heart. I want to connect to another human being who's like out there doing what they love and trying to share a bit of their heart with me, and we feel it together. You know, the American model of acting is kind of Stanislavski-based usually. It's not so much like the British, which is more external. We use our insides. We use our hearts. We use our experience and our brains to, to bring our full humanity to the table. We're really naked and vulnerable doing that. Yes. And I don't think AI can do that. But Nope. So listen to Mira Servino. <laughs> AMPTP. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let's get the right contract for us actors. Yeah, we're not asking for more than we're due. Yes. We're just asking for what's fair and reasonable. Yeah, that's it. Mira Servino, the amazing Oscar winning Mira Servino. Thanks so much for talking to us here on Below the Belt Show. And if you could, let us know who you are and you're on Below the Belt Show. I'm Mira Servino and I'm on Below the Belt Show. Awesome.